In today's episode of the Aman Wire podcast. We're not asking that things change tomorrow. That's in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But we have to be the source of tarbiyah of the ummah, the tarbiyah of the dignity. What makes Sidna Bilal stand up to, to, his, to, to his slave owner? What, what is the tarbiyah that got a person to really detest and hate oppression? You know what I mean? That's scholarship. That's what we want from the heirs of the Prophet The scholars but they're not masumin. So there is that possibility for error, and and they do they have the responsibility to us that when we I mean you can't have all of these people coming at you and saying like okay um, we trust you but explain yourself, and for you to say no just trust me I think that's untenable. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to another episode of Al Medina's Iman Wire podcast. Uh, and I am uh, your uh, humble host, uh, Gaydar. It seems that Salim is out of the picture for uh, this podcast, which is a relief. Uh, maybe not. No, but we alhamdulillah, love Salim. Alhamdulillah, I have uh, a huge uh, supporter and uh, a blessed co host with me. Sidi uh, Matasim, Salam Alaikum. Wa Alaikum Salam. Welcome to this podcast. Yeah, and uh, with us uh, in this uh, blessed episode, inshallah, we have two distinguished guests. Uh, we will start by saying welcome to Sheikh Hassan Al Ashab. Ahla wa Salam Bikum, Sayyidi. And Dr. Muhammad Ghilan. Ahla wa Salam Bikum. Thank you very much both for being here. And um, the topic today quickly is about um, something that has been transpiring in the past few years and maybe past two decades or maybe more, Allahu Alam, uh, which is the fact that uh, some of the Muslim community's um, student base uh, of uh, you know, sacred knowledge have expressed and therefore uh, you know, went about their way to um, come out with a certain disappointment and, uh, uh, and a certain uh, discomfort with the way that some of our mentors in the Muslim world uh, and uh, maybe in the Western Muslim uh, world have, uh, you know, come about in terms of their political stands, uh, in terms of their uh, certain takes on uh, contemporary issues. And these, uh, you know, uh, issues that these students and the general public, uh, therefore, had, uh, you know, they became larger issues and they became a way that had a ticket for a lot of people to disconnect from the dean and disconnect from the, um, you know, um, uh, the way that they should follow uh, the dean. And therefore, uh, we had a lot of moral failings as well in the picture uh, that we had in our, uh, you know, in, in our hand. And, you know, this is a very difficult topic. And uh, subhanAllah, I'm now uh, realizing that Salim is spared <laughs> to, uh, to talk about this. But Alhamdulillah, I wanted to bring this about to our distinguished, uh, you know, guests and to ask you maybe in general to reflect upon that stance and to maybe invite Mottasim also to chime in in setting the stage for, for our uh, guests to, to chime in. So uh, these moral failings are things that have been uh, a major uh, kind of discomfort and therefore we are seeking out some answers, maybe some contextualizing of, of this uh, you know, reality. 
Well, I think, uh, you know, Sheikh Hassan, Sidi Mohammed, before we talk about the moral failings of other people, we have to look at our own moral failings. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Thanks. it's very amazing for me how uh, people uh, get all upset on uh, seeing someone else do wrong when uh, they don't take themselves into account and the immense wrong that we do on a daily basis. So, you know, I'm, uh, I'm outraged at myself <laughs> before I'm outraged at anyone else. And uh, that should be our stance. I mean, look to what I'm doing every day before what I'm looking uh, at others doing. Number two, I would say, look, no one's perfect. Perfection is to Allah and His Messenger Sallallahu Ta'ala Alayhi Wa ala Ali alone. So if I'm looking at a Sheikh or Sheikha, as perfect, then my view is incorrect. I have to be able to take the good that that individual puts forth to me and benefit from that. And I have to be able to overlook their shortcomings because we all have those shortcomings. So if my emotional tie to my religion is based on my relationship with a sheikh or a teacher or an activist who I thought was perfect and then they let me down, my emotional ties are in the wrong place. My tie should be with the Messenger of God, Muhammad, because he, in all aspects, in all forms, in all ways, is perfect. And Sidi Muhammad, I'll let you shed some light on that. And Sheikh Hassan as well, of course. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa salatu wa salamu ala Sayyidina wa Habibina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. I think it's uh, a lot of this discussion has to do with... Um, the modern age's uh, technological impositions and moral imperative that it, that it um, creates for people. I'm reminded, um, we, we're talking about political stances. Um, Imam al-Ghazali, if you go through all of his writings, he has nothing to say about al-Quds, except that we know that he went there. Um, but during his time was the Crusades. We know that al-Quds actually fell to the Crusaders. And during his time, there were scholars that spoke in terms of we need to call people to jihad, we need people to get uh, Jerusalem back. And we can't say that he didn't know because he went there, he visited, he saw um, before moving on to Damascus. Now, the interesting thing about that is um, it is in his, the following generation of after Imam al-Ghazali that we have Salah al-Ayyubi. And in the biography of Salah al-Ayyubi, we know that he carried two books with him. And one was the Quran and the second one was Ihya al-Muddin. Now, the explanation that uh, there was uh, in defense of Imam al-Ghazali, some of the scholars have written, like, why did he say nothing about Jerusalem? And uh, one of the, que- the answers was um, Jerusalem, fa- the fall of Jerusalem to the Crusaders was a symptom of a deeper disease. And he just, the tashkhis, he diagnosed the disease. And so instead of giving Tylenol for a chronic headache, he figured out there was a growing tumor. Mm-hmm. And he gave the solution to the tumor. And that was Ihya al-Muddin. And sure enough, you know, we talk about Salah al-Din al-Ayyubi, how he treated people when he took over Jerusalem, how merciful he was, how accommodating he was. He didn't do what the Crusaders did. We know from uh, biographical accounts from Crusaders that they literally were cannibalizing Muslims when they entered into it. And he was giving them safe passage out of Jerusalem. If they wanted to leave and if they wanted to stay, gave them security uh, to the Christians who wanted to stay in Jerusalem. So... Uh, there's that, and on the other hand, the technological and communication imperatives that we have today, I'm reminded by um, uh, Sultan uh, Abdul Hamid uh, II, rahimahullah. he was called the Sultan al-Ahmar by propagandists, um, and that was to do with the, gen- the Armenian genocide that happened, and 
there was a lot of propaganda and false fake news, if you will, that was being spread around and people just kind of took it. And that was before social media, before Twitter, before any of that stuff. And it takes, it took us, you know, how long before we find out some realities about what was going on at the time to show that this was just false accusations. So we know today also the hackings and all of these things that are taking place in the news. And what you see that's coming through the news is not the full story. So it was actually a very poignant that you started off with, let's point out ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, we assume to have this grandiose, all-encompassing knowledge of everything that is happening. And, and, we, and we have this reactionary responses to all of these things. And we don't know the full story, the full scope of what's happening behind the scenes. I was just actually, before coming down, uh, I was watching a video on interpreters uh, at the UN, mm-hmm. where they interpret uh, in real time for the politicians and whatnot. And um, this interpreter who's been doing it for 20 years, he said, number one, what you see at the UN, that's not actually what happens. What happens is behind closed doors, behind the scenes, before any cameras are running, before the, even the politicians speak in person, all the deal is negotiated on paper. All the, everything is done. Then they come in person and they start with something topical and they have the conversation. And that's just a snippet of what you actually, this is photo opportunities. So you don't, like things are happening behind closed doors and you don't know what's going on and you don't know how these deals were being made. And you're just getting the final kind of result of something. And it's not even the full story. And you don't know how it is until it manifests a time later. So I just, I've been kind of looking at, yeah, I also had the same thing. I point myself, fingers at myself first. You know, I had the same reactions when we saw some of our scholars associating with certain groups and certain political entities and and have our own kind of emotional reactions about it. And it took some time to just unwind and really reflect back. And what I noticed was the scholars themselves, they're actually consistent. They're not, what appears to us here to be an inconsistency with the previous message that they were teaching was just a facade, was an illusion. Because when you go back to their works and go back to their history and see how they've been doing, at least I'm talking about scholars that for us in the West who have basically shaped the way that we understand Islam, traditionally speaking. They're consistent. Nothing has changed. It's us who don't really comprehend and grasp the grander kind of long-term view that they have for where they're going with this community and how they see Islam to manifest in a way that is moral uh, and true to Allah and his messenger. So I just wanted to start off with that. And it doesn't necessarily mean, Sheikh Hassan, that we have to agree with their vision. I mean, even though they may be consistent, it may not be a consistency that we necessarily agree with. It's just, okay, so we found out they were consistent in some of their perspectives. And I think what, you know, uh, I was getting at here is, you know, we've seen recently uh, with the Syria crisis, a lot of people were really hurt at the positions of Sheikh Ramadan al-Bouti, for example. And, uh, you know, this man so beloved to them, and then they saw towards the end of his life, he, he took a stance that hurt many of them. You know, why did the Sheikh do this? Is it because he sold his religion for his akhirah? Or did the Sheikh do this because he was forced to do this? Or did the Sheikh do this because there was a hikmah that he saw that given the knowledge and the connections that he had that other people didn't see uh, here in the West? Uh, let's be honest, there's, uh, you know, some some uh, difficulties that came out really with some people aligning themselves with some governments in the UAE uh, and, and other places where really it sort of shook them. You know, uh, how do we view that? What is our take on that? Can we have a take on that? Do we just be quiet? What do we do? The first thing is that we shouldn't take the shahidiya uh, from the ummah. The Ummah has been given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala a role in to be a witness. 
and witness on everybody. Uh, so to elevate scholarship to a level where they're, they're, they're unquestioned mm -hmm. and they're not accounted by the ummah is, is, is faulty, is just wrong. Um, uh, you know, wrong traditionally and wrong morally. Uh, uh, they have to. They have to. Uh, they have to question. They have to. They have to answer to the principles, and they have to answer to the ummah as well. Um, and that to, to get that out of the way, um, there is a level. Uh, you know, for, for the last for the last fifty years, um, I think um, you know, you know, adopting the means of productions from for, of the of the west and production and 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 and, and uh, adopting the the educational uh, systems and all of that and so uh, comes with a, comes with a price and the price that we have is that we start adopting the values of modernity and some of the values of the modernity are protestant values that's just the reality and then we start in especially in the west we start protestantizing if you will uh, you know islam and then we start creating these 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 voices creating these leaders who are just like the Protestant preachers, no difference, no whatsoever. Um, and it seems to me that it's extremely detrimental to scholarship, uh, to our institutions to adopt this model. We created this, we created this, this, this mega voices. Mm -hmm. We created the spiritual tyrant, we, create, we created them by giving them credence and elevating them to a level that is, that is untouched. We have, to, we have to be prophetic. Being prophetic in here means that you know anybody other than the Prophet وسلم, is a human making ijtihad for themselves. Making ijtihad to be close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they're going to make mistakes. And when they make mistakes, like how do we do how how do we how do we react? You know, it's interesting you saying that, Sheikh Hassan, because one thing I want to jump on, one thing I want to jump on there is uh, what I've seen with some of these leaders that have clearly taken some positions here in the West, uh, they don't like to be questioned on their positions like you know how dare you how dare you ask me why i'm aligning myself with this foreign government or how dare you ask me why i'm pushing this particular theology well sh shouldn't they just answer the question yeah again <laughs> you know again you know any any uh, you know uh, uh, and the prophet said you know the man who came passing by dying and, and he died, and he said, like, whoever you witnessed, you are antum shuhadaullahi fil ard, you are the witnesses of, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on earth. Um, so for scholars not to pay attention, not to heed, uh, not to heed to the public sentiments, that are, that are part of the, part of the, how Allah ta'ala safeguard the, the ummah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, is, is unwarranted. And it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not safe in the long run. It, it deteriorates the level of scholarship and it deteriorates the, the, the authenticity of, of, of scholarship. Yes, scholars can make judgmental mistakes. Sidna Hassan al-Basari used to say, and in, indeed, you know, indeed, uh, sometimes the traditional view can be detrimental. It can be detrimental. The traditional view can be detrimental. There is nothing. Yeah, that's that's. It's just. It's just like. It's just. When you see the whole world is getting free, and you're aligning yourself, and they're doing something about it, and you're aligning yourself with 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 an extremely extremely uh, you know belligerent uh, belligerent you know authority and and, and country uh, that is that is destroying 
the fabric of Islam all over, aligning themselves with, with, with the right wing in here, aligning themselves with creating havoc all over the places, fitna all over the places. And all what you're concerned about is that they're feeding the poor while they're killing tons of people in Yemen and, you know, and so and so. That's a moral stance. You have to answer to that. Again, we, you know, we should not reduce people to one mistake. We should not reduce 30 years of work to one mistake or two. That's unfair. But at the same time, you know, at the same time, sometimes at the same time, we have to be, we have to, we have to make sure that, you know, we don't elevate people to a level where when they make mistake, we're, we're crushed. No, that's, that's, that's completely against everybody is, everybody is prone to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're so complex, extremely complex being adjacent to righteousness, not far from it, adjacent to it is the evil side of the human being. So Ilal Imam Junaid radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Imam Qushayr narrates this. So Ilal Imam Junaid, Imam Junaid was asked, can a wali commit zina? And he said, wa kana amrullahi qadaran maqdura. He said, and, 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 and the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, 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 is a decreed decree. That's what he said. It could be, it could be, right? Ma'iz, when we say sidna ma'iz, sidna ma'iz, you know, laqad tawba tawbatan law qasimat ala ahli al-madirinti ala wasi'atuhum. You know, we have to realize that we're dealing with the human being. And the human being is, is in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the hearts of the people are in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he changed them every single moment. So nothing is surprising from a human being, even if they are extremely religious. Today they are religious, tomorrow they're not. Today they are, they are on the right path. They made this good decision, tomorrow they are not. We have to make sure that we give the nasiha to the a'immat al-muslimin wa'ammatihim. An Tamim al-Dari radiallahu ta'ala, hadith al-Sahih, qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, al-Din al-Nasiha. Qulna li man ya Rasulullah, qala lillahi wa la rasulihi, lillahi wa li kitabihi wa la rasulihi, a'immat al-Muslimin wa'ammatihim. We have to give nasiha, to appropriate nasiha to our scholars, to wake them up sometimes. Like, I'll tell you something. The problem that we have in here is that a lot of times we consider somebody who's really adept in fiqh as a scholar in every single thing. Sure. <laughs> I mean, then, you know, not. They, they, they might be an extremely, you know, naive politically, right. naive politically. But then, but then you come and you say, oh, this scholar did this. Like, he's naive politically. I read in, in I don't know, one of the books of Imam Shatib, and Al-Insaf, you know, he, he was, you know, it's just like you see the people who say, I don't know, I don't know. And he's happy to say it. He says, you know, Imam Abu Hanif, they say that Imam Abu Hanifa said such and such and such. And he said, and I am a commoner when it comes to Hanafi fiqh. We did not, the books of the Hanafis did not reach us. Some, I'm a commoner, some I'm not commenting on this. We have to have scholarship that says, I'm not, I'm not good at this. Oh, we can't, we can't say that these days. Shit. That's exactly, because, <laughs> because, because it's going to, because we, we, we're all looking to, it's, it's extreme, we have, you know, لا أدريناس فالعلم. And we have to create, we have to, this is the scholarship we have to, to, to feed, the scholarship we have to create. We create our own tyrants, scholarship or, or otherwise, spiritual or otherwise. We have to create, elevate the level of the subordinates. And when we elev elevate the level of the subordinates, that, 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 will, that will create a scholarship and a leadership that is befitting. The scholarship that is out there is, 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 um, is just reflection of the subordination that is out there. So 
I think that there is there is a mutual mistake in here that is going on. The first one is that, you know, the people themselves, you know, the expectations of the people are not realistic, and they're not out, they're outside of the realm of the, of the of 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 Islam. To be honest with you, when you elevate somebody to a level when they they do a sin, you are crushed. I mean, that, that's you're not adhering to the to the principle. You're adhering to the person, right? And the second thing from the side of the scholarship. We have to pay attention to what we're doing. We have to pay attention to the stance that we're making. We have to, we have to, we have to, we have to, to pay attention, and we have to weigh it. And not just on, not everything that we that you find an argument for in the tradition is a position that we have to, that we have to 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 adopt. Right. You know what I mean? There, there are positions in the tradition that you wouldn't adopt right now. We should be so our scholars should be at the vanguard of resistance. Period. This is the time where we have to be at the vanguard of resistance. People are losing Islam because Muslims are because Muslim scholars are standing up, are just sitting down in front of the front of their, their their people, those those tyrants, and they are legitimizing what they are doing. People lose hope in Islam doing that. I know personally people who are losing hope in Islam. So we have to ask our scholars those questions, and we have to put them into the test. That's that's the nasiha that we have to give. What, 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 it has to be with adab. It has to be with adab has to be with respect, has to be with sincerity. You know, this public lynching is, is, is humiliating to the Ummah of the Prophet This public lynching is not befitting to us. It's not befitting. This is not us, right? So I think, I think uh, you know, both ways have to, find, have to find the middle way, the middle ground, which is the prophetic way of doing things. But to completely deny the Ummah their right of being shahid, and to completely give all the reins to the scholars, and this, or, or 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 vice versa, is both wrong. I think there's two things about that. The first one is um, uh, the we always we I usually talk about the democratization of platforms has created this kind of uh, everybody can speak about anything, and I, I usually say that in terms of just the average Muslim, like you feel like the right to speak about anything because now you have a platform. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, there's a, another subtle kind of flip side to that, which is the expectation of scholars to speak about everything. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and some scholars fall into that. You know, they don't realize like, okay, so, but you have to remember, you know, an expert in one area is not necessarily an expert in, a, in another area. Um, and the second thing is, uh, Sidi Hassan was mentioning, we have to separate also between, um, uh, I mean, you know, if, if the political matters are set in stone and they're, they were revealed, there would not be shura. What's the point of shura? If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us clear guidance on in terms of like specific actions to do. Um, and so that means the matter can be open to interpretation differences. And we have uh, stories with during the time of the Prophet وسلم, when he would want to do something and the Sahaba would ask, And if it's Ra'i, do you permit me? You know, the Adab, do you permit me to give you a different input? And he وسلم, would sometimes go along with what the companions are saying. So uh, we have to separate between that and, and also recognize that um, not to fall into attacking the person or the intention of the scholar and say that this person is corrupted and they are in the pockets of this government and that's why they're doing this. They're scholars for dollars and whatnot. I mean, these are things that we really don't know. Um, and to have a good opinion of our teachers and just say like, look, I can trust that this person is, is sincere but they can be, as Imam Dawood Walid has mentioned before, sincerely wrong. Maybe they're just wrong. Which Muhammad brings us to the point of, you know, if you're nowadays, everyone sees that pressure build up on the internet. 
right? The articles start coming out, the Twitter feeds start piling up, the Facebook posts start coming out. So when you see that pressure build up and you're that scholar in question, why don't you just clarify? Let people know, as opposed to just maintaining the silence that's there. But again, regarding, uh, so it's, uh, I don't want to make it responding to the public pressure that that's like a pile up on social media, you know, and, and uh, <clears throat> Hassan mentioned about the idea of having to build a stance of some sort. But my question as, uh, you know, a normal layperson who's who's not very versed in the ulum sharia of how to, uh, you know, kind of delve into these matters, when it comes to the actual uh, engagement of the scholars, you know, why is it, and of, and of course, with Dr. Muhammad's point, absolutely, the respect has to be there, you know, given the space and, you know, not uh, not cowing to, to the public kind of, uh, if I could say, uh, you know, uh, lynching, uh, you know, why is it that we as, or our scholars, you know, why is it that they have to run around the orbit, for instance, you know, like, do we have a, a later understanding of the siyasa sharia, if I can use this word, you know, of, of the, you know, technical political life or political science of the Muslim world? Do we have those who actually did some sort of work to navigate us through these realities? And I understand in the Muslim world as well, in the past, you know, 10 years, or maybe nine to 10 years, we have a different reality, which is all of a sudden now we have, quote unquote, the Arab Spring and the Thawrat and, and the different, you know, things that, that took place. And so many scholars left and right had different opinions all the way from ultimate support to the ultimate rejection and, 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 and abandonment. So aside from those who Dr. Muhammad as well mentioned in the beginning that were silent, like Imam Ghazali, you know, that's Mu'tabar, Mu'tabar, you know, we understand those who choose silence. But those who engaged and went about to go fully in the orbit or in the political orbit of those who had these atrocities happening in the Muslim world and otherwise, do we have an alternative? Do we have in the Muslim world those who actually did some ishtihad in terms of political science or what have you? Yeah, and honestly, I mean, like uh, you look at the, our tradition and it has, you know, I was joking with somebody and I said, like, just give me whatever position you want and I can give you an argument from the tradition <laughs> about it. You know, this, this is the truth. Um, you know, yeah, you will find people who are, you will find people who are, who are going to legitimize that relationship. And you say, oh, Abu Yusuf worked with, with Harun Rashid and, da, 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 and so on and so forth. But, you know, you look at the people who carry the tradition and they all, like, they, they all had a clear, clear position from the Sultan. You know, Ghazali had a, had a, you know, yes, he didn't speak about the Quds, but he said one of the most detrimental things that could happen to a scholar is that he becomes he becomes a a, a uh, you know somebody that that you know one of the acquaintances of the of the of the Sultan, and not in one book, like in every book of Tazkiyah, he speaks about that. Like in Ulum Dinia is like a long thing, and and so on. In Ayyuhal Walad, you know. A letter that he sent to his students, he has a section about that, a long section about that, and so and an argument that you can't that you can't an argument that is well made, strongly made. Like Abu Hani Abu Imam Ahmad radiallahu ta'ala anhu is known for his resistance to to Al Mamun. Do you know how many scholars at the time of the Prophet, uh, time of Imam Ahmad who lost their who lost their pedigree as scholars? And they were great muhaddits wa tarakahamunas. They were they were completely for, for gone. They were completely forgotten. 
and people deserted them because of their position. And there is a shara'i, they were, they were forced for that position. You know, there is a difference in here. See the difference is that they were forced to say okay to Khalq al-Qur'an. They were forced. They were put on a place where they were, their head is going to be cut. And they said yes. And even in that situation, Imam Ahmad dropped a lot of people. Ibn Kullab, da, 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 a lot of people that he dropped. He said, let us ma'u minhu. Let us ma'u minhu. And that's why it's called, it was called a mihna. You know, but readily, readily going to serve those, those, those despots, is, it, it, this is what the problem is. Again, one can find an excuse for it. One can find an excuse. One can find something from the tradition. One can find, and so on. But the reality is, is every single thing that you find the source about in the tradition actually embodies and reflects the soul of the Sharia and the soul of the will of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. You know, the answer would be no. It's not. Yeah. You so, know. Yeah. Absolutely. So again, what was working at that time in certain circumstances may not be, may not is not is not always the case in here. So to ready get the readily packaged, you know. Opinions from the tradition and try to and try to to fit them into realities that are different is is is, a, is an exercise that is not warranted and it produces doubt about the tradition. That's the, my idea in here is that the personal the personal uh, opinion of the scholar is to be honest with you at the end of the day is is not extremely important, right? But the damage that it does, given that he is an authority and he is a voice and so on and so forth. The damage that it does to the to the trust in the tradition is tremendous. I think that at this moment, Allah Ta'ala Alam, instead of instead of targeting people, right? You know, just this person is doing this, then we have to I think that we have to enforce a discourse. If we enforce the discourse of resistance and we enforce the discourse of resistance legally, like we have a very beautiful, strong argument legally for it, and from our tradition, and and it becomes something that, you know. Yeah, you know, liberation and liberation is part of uh, the core of what Islam is all about. Otherwise, why would Bilal and Ammar and Sumayya and all of those come to Islam if he did not promise them liberation? Right? Why, why would they come? Is it because of the Akhirah? No. No, there are people before that who spoke about the Akhirah. A lot of them, right? Spoke about the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's because it tied up. The, the the destiny which is the the hereafter with the with the promise how many verses two verses in the Quran like that with double with double emphasis that he will give them victory that he will give them dignity that he will give them in this earth in here so the discourse of liberation as it was in the Abbasi time or Umayyad time was put in the back burner for political reasons and historical reasons it is not now. So to bring about those positions and sell them as the view of Islam is not, is not, you know, it's, it's, you know, so we have to go against the argument. I think that that's what we have. We have, let's go against the argument. Let's not just, you know, demonize people. I don't think demonizing people is good. Again, people are going to lose their pedigree. People are going to lose their clout. People are going to lose their, their influence. People are going to lose their, and, it's sad that it comes to this point that people are worried about their influence more than they're worried about the actual position. You know what I mean? The actual position that is detrimental to the morality, their position to their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, you know, if, if it takes that a scholar wakes up and wakes, wakes up only because most of the ummah is against them, 
then if that if that what it takes, then it, that that what it takes, right? But my idea is that to never be personal and to actually go against the ideas and argue against them rather than people. Uh, you know, people go, but their ideas stay. Uh, and and the, the loss of the pedigree is already happening. I mean, the latest Pew poll that just came out it was specific to the Muslim world, the Arab world, where they're losing trust in their scholarships. Yeah, yeah see, they, they're not even listening to them anymore. And see, but what happened with that, <clears throat> Muhammad? See, what happened with that? You know, what happened with that is that they lose trust in the in the tradition itself. Yes, yes, because they're interlinked. Exactly. And, yeah. and by the way, just like speaking of which, and I only speak from my personal view, and this is not to belittle the other struggles that are going on in the Muslim world and even some of the struggles that we live here in, in the West, you know, as a Muslim community. I only speak from my tila or from my, you know, uh, you know, kind of outlook on what happened uh, for me uh, and I have family in Syria. A lot of the uh, students of knowledge who actually left Syria or fled Syria, uh, you know, in the past seven to eight years, have become one of the staunchest and angriest voices, have become one of the staunchest and, uh, and, and angriest voices against the tradition because they they were heartbroken to a way that left them, that either they did not leave the dean, but they became so vocally, uh, you know, dismissive and uh, uh, narcissistic about, uh, you know, anything that is related to scholarship because they saw their shiuch who were attached to uh, like you mentioned, you know, 125 percent abandon, you know, uh, you know, the, the bloodshed that was going on in in a way that was so outrageous, in a way that was so unheard of, you know. But, the, but that but, but that in itself is not a balanced position because no. even if you look at Syria, there are many mashayikh that came yeah. out against Absolutely. it. Absolutely, yeah. So they you know, did. I'm just saying I, what I'm, I'm just adding right. to the idea of what the sheikh mentioned that it actually has. And, and a lot of those who are not grounded in knowledge, they actually left the dean. Right, right. So, you know, this is part of the problem. So if you have someone who is attaching themselves to a political apparatus and, uh, you know, you're, you're losing your clout amongst the, the followers of the dean from one side, then you have that political apparatus from behind the scenes trying to uh, degrade morality from the other. You have nothing left. And this is a systematic approach that's been happening across the world. It's the Dajjalic worldview that we're all going to run into. But again, there are going to be scholars with different positions and politics in its nature is not clean. It's not pure. It's difficult. Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anhu he engaged in the most beautiful way as he could in the politics that are there and look at some of the treachery that happened to him. Sayyidina al-Hasan radiallahu anhu look at the treachery that happened to him. Sayyidina al-Hussein look at the treachery that happened to him. Politics by its nature is not a clean arena. And so when we have scholars consciously throwing themselves into politics that number one are not even their own, which is a strange phenomenon that I see, they need to realize that some of that dirt, and there's a lot of dirt in that arena, especially if you're not entering it with the purity and the beauty of the tension of the names that I mentioned, is going to fall on you. And you're going to have to deal with that. And so I would always go back to the point that Sheikh Hassan brought up at the very beginning is that, yes, there is a responsibility for you to be held into account for the positions that you take. A lot of the Muslims nowadays are online and they're seeing what's happening and they're seeing these articles that are coming out and they're wondering why their scholars are taking certain positions that they are taking, but they're not getting any answers, which just makes the matters worse. Well, see, again, sometimes silence is the most eloquent of answers, to be honest with you. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think 
it's you know again we we, we delved into the the, the politics and I, I don't think the politics is the only thing i mean there are there are other positions that people take whether it's on social issues for example on you know same gender marriage or something like that that really that that that, that become um become extremely problematic to to follow them or to trust them and so on uh, you know, this ha- this has been going on for so long. What we have to bring about to our community, we have to bring about, is that we have to. Th- there is there is a price for ilm. Ilm is not just a pedigree that one you know that it's just a beautiful chair at the end of you know at the top of everybody and you give fatwas and your your hand is kissed and da da da. da. But there is a price to be paid. And if we look at the biographies of all of great scholars, they all have they've been the moral the moral anchors of their communities. Mm-hmm. All right? Imam Malik, rahmatullahi ta'ala, you know, he had, he had his, his, you know, talaq al-mukra, he la yajuz. You know, where is the where, resistance, right? Imam, Ahmed, Imam, Imam Abu Hanifa, radiallahu ta'ala, anhu, you know, he said to, to the people who were fighting with Sidna Muhammad al-Nafs Zakiya that they are, that this is Badr al-Sughra, wa, wa, wa Badr al-Sughra, and he told his students to go and fight with him. He tells, like, what are you doing around me? Go and fight with him. This is Badr al-Sughra. You know, there is no one who is going to breathe, right? So this idea that that uh, politics and ilm are separated, I don't think that's how it is. As long as you breathe in a society, you have a political stance. Even if you don't, even if you're not involved in politics, that is you know, day-to-day politics of things. The moment you go and pump gas, that's a political stance. And so on. So, you know, silence is by itself a political stance. You can never rid yourself as a human being in society. That's aristocratic view. You cannot ever rid yourself as a person living in a society out of politics. You are part of it. Even if you say, I'm not involved. Even if you don't go and vote. Even if you don't go and, and so you are involved. The, the fact that you're silencing yourself, that's a political stance. Right? So... You know, we have to we have to demand from our community, from from our scholarship. We have to demand prophetic prophetic um, uh, prophetic uh, ways of you know prophetic prophetic representation. In so you know, what are all of those examples? Right, the examples of Imam Abu Hanifa, examples of Imam Shafi, examples of of Imam Malik, examples of Imam Ahmed. All of those st- stood not their ilm is not the ilm did not become extremely um extremely uh, you know ubiquitous and and they were for, they were they were established as great scholars not just because of their legal opinions it's because of their political stance as well they say about imam ahmed that what got imam ahmed to become the imam ahmed that we know is the mihna otherwise in his time there were a lot of great scholars his teachers and they don't have the same pedigree and some of them were way more greater than him, mm-hmm. right? So when we, when we have a, such a rich tradition, right, a rich tradition of resistance, and then we come and, we, we, and then we become legitimizing things that are, that, that are clearly to everybody, anybody who knows a little bit of politics, right? And seeing, you know, you know sidelining with, you know, who's, who's, who's among the, imagine an African-American siding with, with with uh, with the KKK, huh? how did that work? <laughs> yeah, this is exactly the example. Example, this exactly the example yeah. that you see scholarship. Sadly, you know, whitewashing the crimes of whitewashing. Scholars are pure. They're nice. 
they have clout, they have piety, they have closeness to Allah Taala. They have, they have, they, they have, uh, they have a, uh, you know, uh, you know, people are respecting them for their piety and for their goodness and so on and so forth. And this, the, the regimes, they want those guys to whitewash their crimes. To like, no, no, look at these people; they are. And and I, I don't know. Is is it sometimes political naivete, uh, naivete or naivete, right? Naivete or 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 Allah Allah Taala Alam what it is and I I don't I don't think that it's about money I don't think that of it's course, about yeah, I don't, think so I don't money, never yeah. think that this is yeah, about absolutely. money I never think of those great men and women that it's it's about it's about uh, status right I think that there is there is a, a serious misunderstanding of what's good and bad and what's in that rea- in that reality and a complete cutoff from the popular sentiment. Mm, they're just like so far, they're so far remote from what people feel that they are, and scholars can be. I can tell you, I lived in Dar al-Hadith. I've seen scholars who are completely remote from the realities of people. Like they cannot change the item that goes on in the street, let alone goes change the, the country things. You know what I mean? And there are some of the greatest muhaddits in the world and some of the greatest authorities uh, in the world, right? So. Um, well, so, Imam Al-Qaim actually does say Al-Ilm Fitna like yeah, it's, it's a, that, That's part of all this tribulation I, I remember one Imam in Vancouver I was talking to He did uh, Iftat for a year After he finished all of his degrees and stuff And, and his uh, he was from the Diobandi kind of tradition And he did Iftat for a year And he got disenchanted with it And the reason for that he says was I'm sitting there for a year uh, With all of these great <laughs> muftis and great scholars And they are Coming up with, and he said to me, he's like, do you know how all these crazy fatwas come out? He's like, they come out from people who are just sitting in libraries. Mm-hmm. And they don't know what's happening on the street. They don't know what's happening on the ground. The thing about politics is, uh, politics is an extension of ethics. And ethics is a, is a branch of metaphysics. And metaphysics for us, it's Quran and Sunnah. So if, uh, you know, uh, people initially had cognitive dissonance. And I'm speaking also from personal experience, cognitive dissonance. The scholar saying one thing, but then you're feeling some other way. And there's also There's this Noahidic kind of recognition of, uh, you know, mortal sins. You know, murder is wrong. Oppression is wrong. You don't need to be a Muslim to know that. Allah just created you with that. So people without scholarship recognize that. And then they see the scholar seemingly, at least from the appearance of it, without explaining to you what's happening, siding with, belligerent, oppressive type of regimes. And so push comes to shove, eventually that kind of distance gets the best of you. You only have one heart in your chest and you're just going to come back and go against that. Um, so it's, it's, it's difficult to say that. But the one thing I wanted to mention was um, in all of our calls for people to attach themselves to principles, it's important to keep in mind that when we speak about principles, we're speaking about abstract intellectual entities. They're abstractions of things. And human beings by nature are not just intellects walking. We're not just aql. We're also emotions. And um, I think uh, it's important to note that we're not saying to people don't have an emotional attachment at all whatsoever to scholarship. I mean, I think you would almost be satanic not to have some sort of love and, and reverence to people who have fadl on you, who have these blessings of they've taught you, they've, they've, they're leading you by the hand to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They've, you've memorized Quran with some of them. Maybe you've studied Sharia. You've done all that. 
by nature, you're going to have a, an emotional attachment to these people, and that is going to have some sort of an impact on you. On the contrary, we're calling to protect this relationship. You know, exactly. We are trying to, you know, yeah. uh, you know but have, the have it, yeah. point we're saying is that you have to constantly keep uh, in mind that you should attach yourself to Allah first and foremost. Uh, Ibn Mas'ud, when he says that, if you're going to take a, somebody as a guy, take someone who's passed away already because they're moon from fitna now. <laughs> they're done. <laughs> they're not going to have that tribulation. Um, and this tribulation is not necessarily that the scholar themselves, it is possible. You know, I, I, I just want to keep pushing. It is possible that the scholar is actually correct in what they're doing and what they're saying in the long view of it. Yeah. It is possible. It is. You have to and, entertain and so, that I possibility. Wanted, so I, I, I wanted to uh, interject here and because I heard this from really educated folks that I uh, love and admire. And they said the following and both in America to me and also from those who written stuff in, in the Muslim world and they said, do you know if it wasn't for Sheikh so-and-so being involved, what would be the amount of bloodshed even more? I'm like, really? More than this? You know, if, if it wasn't for Sheikh X, the reality would be so much even, so much worse. It's, so that's, And that's, I was like, subhanAllah, <clears throat> I mean, I can't even tell you, you know, how to respond uh, to, to this. Look, you know? but the thing is, that, that is, that is indeed a possibility. And we have to acknowledge that it is possible that that could be the case. And um, uh, it's important not to get too caught up uh, emo with our emotions, not to delegitimize them, but to just not to get too caught up to lose sight of that, that there is a possibility. I mean, I, I'm always going back. I find myself going back to Sulh al-Hudaybiyah. The companions initially were very troubled by the agreements and the, and, and the concessions that the beloved Sallallahu was making in Sulh al-Hudaybiyah. Um, and I'm not saying that this is exactly what's happening now. I'm not saying that we're in a Sulh al-Hudaybiyah case and, and just trust without questioning. Because they did question. They pushed back against the Prophet and they questioned. And it was to the point where they wouldn't even slaughter their sheep when he said slaughter them. That's how troubled they were with that. And that's a legitimate position to take. Like, and uh, the, the scholars, وَرَثَتُ الْأَنْبِيَاءِ But they're not masumin. So there is that possibility for error. And, and they, do, they have the responsibility to us. That when we, I mean, you can't have all of these people coming at you and saying like, okay, um, we trust you, but explain yourself. And for you to say, no, just trust me. I think that's untenable. So, Allah Adam. Yeah, I mean, I guess we, we wanted to have some sort of a, a, a general kind of explanation, even from a Shari point of view, uh, you know, uh, for, for those who try to, you know, put their unease, you know, uh, at bay, I, I guess, in a, in a, in a sense. But um, uh, it, I guess a little bit of everything that what you uh, gentlemen said is, is uh, I guess, the, the real picture. And therefore... Let me uh, tell you a story. Yeah. That's interesting. I have a friend of mine who was an Amman. And uh, they were just uh, studying at Qasid Institute doing Arabic there. And he said that they were driving and uh, a Jordanian Bedouin man was driving and he hit them with the car. And um, it was the man's fault. He's the one who was in, uh, at fault for hitting them. And he comes out of the car and he was belligerent, swearing at them, I'm gonna do this. Mm. And he said, these are, these, are, these are Westerner Muslims studying their Arabic. So they come out and he said his initial gut instinct was to push back and to fight. Mm -hmm. And then he remembers something that he heard from one of the mashaykh and he said, the Bedouin Arab, they just, uh, exalt them and, and talk them up and all of a sudden they'll, and so they came out and he checked himself back and he said, you know, ya khuna, ya sheikhna, we're here 
and he's speaking to him in Arabic. Like we came here to this land, and and these are Americans, and and we've been telling them how generous you are, how great you are, how amazing you are, how this. And so the guy, he, he melted. He kissed them all on the head, and then he just and he 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 gave them food, and he was he just took care of them. And he said he took a lesson from that. It's like that part of the world where we have these oppressive governments, which you gotta remember, their roots are Bedouin. Mm -hmm. So what our, he said, our Western sensibilities and this pushback and speak truth to power and the way that we do it is not necessarily the same way that you would do it over there. And you have to remember that. There is a method to speaking to, you speak to somebody in a particular way, like if you use the same methodology that you would use with Western kind of, let's say in an American context, the way that we speak back to politicians, you do that over there, they will take you behind the sun. Th that's, that's not true, how they respond. Absolutely, but then so, at the same time, uh, I, I find it very difficult to use uh, this kind of, you know, uh, it's a beautiful analogy what you had, but I find it hard to accept it on a state level, you know, for somebody who is trying to, you know, affect, even to actually affect uh, communities in the West. I know, know? I know. It, I, I find it hard to accept to talk to them that way. I know, way. but I got to tell you, you know, yeah. there's a picture um, that was just shared right now, and, and it had uh, uh, Murtaza Hussein as a journalist, and he, com he, gave, he gave an interesting comment to it. It was uh, Mohammed bin Salman standing there in the middle between all these Western leaders, and he's wearing his thobe and his dishdasha, and all of them are wearing their suits. And he said, everything aside, how did these people maintain their traditional dress <laughs> in the middle of all of that. In my mind, there's actually a metaphor to that. It's like, if this person is to that, I mean, uh, the madhar mm -hmm. tells you something. Mm -hmm. It's presenting himself in a particular way. I'm not saying don't speak back, don't talk back, don't talk, but I'm just saying tailor your, your approach mm -hmm. because the means can be different if you're still trying to achieve the same goal. That's all I'm saying. No, I think... I think, Allah Ta'ala, <clears throat> the most repeated uh, story in the Quran is the story of Moses. Mm. And at the core of the story of Moses is that relationship with Pharaoh. And he has all the principles we had to have mm -hmm. to deal with the state. Yeah. Yeah, all of it. Yeah, and, you know what I mean? So Allah Ta'ala said, <laughs> Allah Ta'ala said <laughs> to him, But in here, a lot of people say, is just like to, to just like to Kiss be up. like a rug yeah. Yeah, to death. No, no, no. Qawla yeah. layin no. is like, uh, you know, uh, what did he say? You know, uh, you have to let Banu Israel go with us. You know, we brought, you know, so, you know what I mean? You have to let go of these ways of yours. That's the qawla layin. The qawla layin is the tawheed. The qawla layin is justice. The qawla layin is the dignity. That's the qawla layin. Now, now, are we expecting our scholars to start like, revolutions? That's not what we're. Not. That's yeah. not why. That's not how to take arms and start three. No, no, no. Absolutely not. But to be the moral stance, even even if, if it takes that they go, you know, beyond the sun. That's the price you pay as a scholar. That's the pay price. You know, that's the that's the price. That's the price. came to the Prophet You know, ask for some. Reprieve for us, and he said, "You know, what are you asking? What are you talking about? Mm -hmm. well, the people before you, you know, they were they were cut into half, and so on and so forth. We want to practice scholarship with our garments so clean and nice. It doesn't work like that. That's not how it was, mm -hmm. right? It is a price to be paid. There is a price to be paid, and we have to be ready to to pay it. 
خير الشهداء سيد الشهداء حديث صحيح سيد الشهداء حمزه ورجل قام الى رجل الى رجل الى سلطان جائر فنصحه فقتله وي اي هاف تانز اوف اوف نصائح اوف ذا سكولرز تو ذا كينجز تانز You know, you could have two, three volumes of the nasaih of of the of the advices, and some of them are harsh, like really harsh. Ibn Abi Hazim, one of the Tabi'is, to Salma to 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 the King Suleiman Suleiman Ibn Abd al-Malik. You go, it's it's published. You know, Ibn Abi Hazim, you know, addressed to to and see how our scholars talk with such a dignity and such. You know, Imam Malik when he went to to he met with with the Asafah. And so on. You know, we have in our tradition ample examples and ample ways of doing it, but they are put in the back burner to for another discourse. And we have to bring those those to the fore. We, we're expecting our scholars to be at the forefront of asking for the dignity of the Ummah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. We ask. We're we're requesting. We're demanding. We have to. To have scholarship that are engaged with the realities of people, they are with the poor, they are with the destitute, they are with them. They are at the vanguard of seeking, of seeking dignity to the Ummah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And whatever it takes, they have to do it with. They have to do it with adab. They have to do it with lean, with 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 the same way Allah subhanahu wa taala told them. We said to do it with, and so on. But at the same time, the the message should not be diluted. The message should be clear. The message should be, and if if it takes us that we have to be patient for another two, three, five generations for our discourse to to bear fruit, alhamdulillah. But we're never going to give in. Let's be the moral resistance in the ummah of the Prophet We're not asking that things change tomorrow. That's in the hands of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. But we have to be the source of tarbiyah of the ummah, the tarbiyah of the dignity. What makes it Nabila stand up to to his to, to his slave owner? What what is the tarbiyah that got a person to really detest and hate oppression? You know what I mean? That's scholarship. That's what we want from the heirs of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. We don't want somebody to legitimize the status quo to us. We know how to do that. You know what I mean? I don't want a shara'i reading on how to how to legitimize despotism. We had that for many many centuries. We know that. You know, we need scholars who can stand up to the morals of Islam and present them. And if they have to pay the price, then it is what it is. Sidna Yusuf got to, to jail. All this, all the, look, look at the prophets. Look at the prophet. All of them, all of them. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala saying, "Wa'udir." All of them have been tried in our sake. So why do we demand an Islam, especially on a scholar level, that is free from trial, especially in that regard? You know what I mean? You know. I'm not sure when did we get this notion of Islam that is free from trials and free from sacrificing. You know? When did we get that notion of Islam that is that is about comfort and it's about just keeping the status quo? I, mean, I have no idea when did we get the that. The point you made earlier about the Protestantism, uh, part of it is the prosperity gospel. And exactly, I think we prosperity have a gospel. Prosperity Quran. Exactly. Now. <laughs> so exactly. we don't want a trial. And the issue is we have this ambiguity, and I think our scholars, unfortunately, have. Contributed to the kind of the norms of this age of postmodernity of everything is ambiguous and we don't really know where things stand and and as Sidi Hassan was mentioning you have to have this really clear moral kind of uh, principles at the very least even if I mean the thing about principles is that you're not always going to live up to to them but at least you know them you know what they are and if you're 
the people of Allah, as we would consider them, are not standing up in a very clear way, or at the very least, guiding you through the, the path uh, so that if there's any ambiguities, you're not left confused. Uh, we're confused. It's, that's really the issue. It's the confusion that's driving all of this. And um, there has to be some clarity. Um, and uh, the phenomenon that Sayyid Matassan was mentioning earlier, this involvement of you know scholars over here and, and foreign governments. I mean, I, I heard one of the mashayikh who's been asked about what's happening in Libya. And he was in uh, Saudi Arabia and he said, Ahlu Mecca Adarabi like they have their own scholars who are living there, who are going through this thing. Why are you asking me over here? Well, I don't know what's happening exactly there, but now we have scholars going from the West into these lands and contributing and legitimizing and doing things. I, I, I don't know. I, Allahu uh, and so, I mean, actually, uh, one, one thing I want to mention about this, uh, you know, our dear guests is the idea is, you know, if, if some people even criticize this particular discourse, why are you even harping on this whole political thing and the whole, it, it's it's not a matter to the public, it's not a matter, I mean, some people even say that, although it's kind of bizarre, but even to, to you know, consider that, because uh, even to consider this opinion is actually very problematic because I, as a person who wants to live Islam through the rest of the other areas in my life, am very much affected and I'm going to be uh, leaving and letting go of the other things morally because of this thing. You know, I mean, it's subconscious. Like when we have these moral issues that we're talking about in terms of uh, accepting those who are uh, belittling, you know, our moral code in terms of, uh, you know, sexual orientation or in terms of the uh, family morality or, or, or whatnot. I am even arguing that some of that is even because of this political reality that we're living in, you know, because of that ambiguity that you mentioned. It's translating, you know, it's, it's translating to us letting go of the others because if I'm ambiguous about something, then it's translating to the rest of my being, you know, trying to live Islam. And because I, I heard scholars who are actually engaged and they said, why are you even bringing politics here? You know, let's focus on this thing and this thing and this, and this thing. I mean, I can't, I can't really focus on this thing and this thing if you're not addressing the, let's say, the, the matter of the blood, for instance, or the matter of, uh, you know, life or deen. So, so that to me is just an argument that I want to make. I'm not sure how... True, it is. I think it's <laughs> part of the age of this reductive kind of approach to life, which is um, a modern or a post-enlightenment way of looking at things. The nature is not reductive, and it's not. It's the. It's more than the sum of its parts, and everything is connected, and everything is impacting everything. So, uh, this business of separating even the spirit of leave unto Caesar what's unto Caesar's and what's unto God unto God's. That's not even an Islamic, you know, approach to doing that. So, um, I, it's. I don't think it's tenable for you to have this, and it goes back to this, it's creating a cognitive dissonance that is unnecessary. Um, uh, our decisions, as Sidi Hassan mentioned earlier, when you pump gas, you're making a political statement because that's related to something else that's happening over there. When you're buying anything, you're, your actions are interlinked with, and that's a lot of these environmentalists and whatever movements that are arising today, they're recognizing the interconnected of our, uh, nature of all of our decisions for our mundane, so-called mundane decisions in life they're having greater impact, you know, the ripple effect. Um, so I think when it comes to scholarship, they need to um, have a clear, uh, um, especially now, I mean, the approach that these uh, oppressive governments are taking is any scholar that speaks against them is shoved into jail. And those who are towing the line, 
they're the ones that are giving platforms. And because we recognize as a community that they're towing the line and they're maintaining the status quo, we're losing trust in them. And in doing so, we're also losing trust in the tradition itself. And so you have this removal of our attachment to the religion, to the deen, which is really the whole game plan. I, I guess I want to close by uh, asking for any last uh, comments on, uh, you know, or, or recommendations to the layperson. Uh, you know, even if we, uh, of course, we mentioned what we expect of scholars uh, of how to stand the moral ground. But then, you know, do you have a tip for me as somebody who's trying to navigate through this, you know, how to, you know, focus myself, uh, so to speak, on my dean? Because at the end of the day, uh, you know, when I, you know, when I, when I rest my head forever and, and when, when I'm going to stand for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, there are a lot of things that I will be accounted for, but a lot of them are according to my personal stand and what to do towards these bigger things. So any particular tips that, you know, somebody can, I'm not going to say pacify, <laughs> any particular that will make it easier for me. And, and I know that, see, Sheikh Hassan, you mentioned that, you know, the fitna is part of the deen, uh, basically to, for us to get through the trial and the test. But I guess, how can I take some of the tools to get through that? I'll just say that um, uh, since the layperson is not able, I mean, as he hasn't mentioned, you can justify shari'an anything. <laughs> so what you have is not necessarily the scholarship to understand the arguments and the proofs, but you can certainly look at the consequences. Mm -hmm as a layperson and just know like this is causing greater damage uh, and see uh, Imam Ibn Qayyim al-Jawziya said أَعْلَمْ أَنَّ الشَّرِعَةُ حِكْمَةٌ كُلُّهَا وَرَحْمَةٌ كُلُّهَا وَعَدْلٌ كُلُّهَا وَمَا خَرَجَ عَنَ الْعَدْلِ إِلَى الْجَوْرِ وَمَا الرَّحْمَةِ إِلَى ضُدِّهَا وَمَا الْحِكْمَةِ إِلَى ضُدِّهَا وَمَا الْمَصْلَحَةِ إِلَى الْمَفْسَدَ فَعْلَمْ أَنَّهَا لَيْسَتْ مِنَ الشَّرِعِ it's a beautiful kind of qualifier Absolutely. at the end. Absolutely. It closed the loop. Of it closed the loop. Beautifully. Of, exactly. Yeah. So any interpretation that makes it look like uh, this is okay, but then you find the result of it. So as a lay person, I would say, look at the result of what's happening. Is it leading to greater harm, greater oppression, greater killing? And secondly, now in medicine, you know, we have different specialties. And part of what we do in the ward rounds is that if a patient is manifesting some sort of, you know, you do an internal medicine and then the patient has some sort of a heart condition that's developing on the ward, we'll, we'll write in the notes is like a cardiology consult, you know, or if it's a neurological problem, it's a neurology consult. And then they come and they do that. And I think you, we have to exercise the same thing with the scholars. What is the specialty of this particular scholar? Mm -hmm. um, don't just assume that just because this is a scholar of sharia, that it automatically means uh, we have this equivocation that the sharia encompasses all of life therefore the alim of the sharia is going to encompass all of life <laughs> and that's not the case you know i just had a brother ask me he's like i want to study this and i want to get into that i said look man uh i even recommend us go to tasir go to go to a, a place that's near you start studying from the abc alif beta and then progress and then see where your heart inclines towards and then pursue that but know that you will specialize in maybe maybe two three maximum things but maybe one usually and that's your thing. So for the layperson, I would say go into the background of that particular scholar and see what they actually specialized in. And if they didn't specialize in the matter that they're speaking about, take what they're saying with a grain of salt. Uh, maybe they just read some extra books on it and whatever, but that's not necessary. And that doesn't mean that they're experts in it. But definitely the main thing is whatever they're saying, look at the consequences of it. You know, it's it might be difficult for a practicing Muslim adhering believer to hear Quran and hear hadith being cited and, and I'm telling you to not ignore it, 
but just keep it in mind, but put it aside for a second and look into the consequences of what that scholar is saying. Because it's not enough for them to just say, qala Allah wa qala Rasul, and then lead you to, let's say, justifying domestic violence against women. And, and they say, well, Allah says and the messenger says. That's not enough. So I'll just, that's really the, all I have to say. And I think, Wallah ta'ala, there, there are two folds to this, I think. The first thing is to, the, the, to be merciful to the scholars. I think it's extremely important to be merciful. In the sense that, you know, again, uh, you, you can condemn some of the, condemn them, right? But at the end of the day, this is a human being who is, at the end of the day, deserves our mercy for, and our compassion for they are going to be asked and fair they are going to have to answer for their for their choices and for their for their stance uh, and we have to help them as well as good subordinates as good believers we have to help them find their way with the good nasiha and so on and so forth again the lynching the public lynching had never served anything so it's 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 demeaning and it puts people to the corner and it doesn't give people a chance. We have to open doors for our scholars to find their ways back and to, to benefit from them because they can benefit the Ummah of the Prophet That's one. The second, so have husn done and you know, you, you know what they're doing and it's wrong and you leave it there and then you move on to, you move on to the second thing. The second thing is that while our eye is on the, on, on, on the, the macro of what's going on in the Ummah and all of what's going on in the Ummah, our commitment should be local. You know that model that we have to that model that we're criticizing somewhere. We have opportunities in in America to in or in the West to build great model models of our communities. So to sit down and critique the scholarship, and all we do is is you is is uh, is WhatsApp activism and Facebook activism. That's not activism. That's not involvement with the Ummah of the Prophet It's easy to fall into thinking that we're doing something by sharing this and by sharing that, by writing posts here and writing posts there. We're not changing anybody's attitude. By the end, by the time the person read your comments or no matter how eloquent it is, and he sees 10 posts after that, he forgot about your comments completely and it's not there anymore. So we have to start really being involved in our communities. That justice that we, that we, that we lack you know, in the Muslim countries and that we're yearning for to be, to be represented through our Islamic values, let's do it in our communities. Let's have more representation of our sisters in the boards of our masjids. Let's have the let's let's pay attention to the destitute in our communities, Muslims and non-Muslims. Let's fight for that justice, really, right? Believe in it, and 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 be involved in causes in our community, and make our community prophetic communities. I think if we do create models, we will offset a lot of what's going on back home. Not that we're going to change the realities in there. People are looking for models, and it doesn't it doesn't serve. The cause of Islam, any, nothing. If all we do is bark against those scholars and making those things, it doesn't make any. It doesn't change the realities of ours or their realities. I think we have to be positive and really redirect our energy in building models in our communities, in our families, in our and so. And in that way, um, our anger is not a is is an anger for the sake of Allah. Is an anger for the sake of Allah. Anger for the sake of Allah is productive and positive. Anger for the sake of the nafs is destructive. 
So let's make that anger for the sake of Allah uh, produces something beautiful that produces, you know, equity in the way we pay our imams and and our teachers and in Islamic schools and and elevate all our institutions in the most beautiful way and serve in that regard. Any anything that we can do for our communities will serve the over the, the overall plot of the of the ummah of the Prophet Anybody who can do anything for the community of the Prophet anywhere practically changing the lives of others, no matter how small the work can be, you know, fuses into the greater plot of the Ummah of the Prophet ﷺ, changing it into the better. We are interconnected in ways that are that are that are so amazing. So let's not undermine my contribution to my masjid, my contribution to my to my school, my contribution to whatever institutions that are out there that that fits into what I like to 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 or my capacities and abilities are. I should not undermine that that involvement. It will serve the ummah of the Prophet sallallahu The Prophet will be happy with it. Allah ta'ala Allah and thank you very much for uh, you know such uh, engaging session. Uh, I am really appreciative of uh, this time, and uh, for all of you listening, uh, thank you very much for being with us. And uh, we encourage you to please uh, share this uh, episode if you uh, like what you heard, and um, if you have uh, comments, uh, if you have uh, ways to you know enact what some of these uh, tips and you know and recommendations we have, please go ahead and, and you know kind of uh, share them. Along with these uh, comments as well, I would like you to also, uh, you know, uh, subscribe and to, um, you know, increase the ratings of our uh, podcast. uh, And that will be uh, greatly appreciative and uh, helping uh, for this material, inshallah, to be disseminated. But at the end of the day, Jazakumullah khair and thank you very much. And until next episode, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.